0: Welcome. Welcome. You can take your seats if you'd like. Good morning. Good morning. Feel free to respond. You know, yeah. Oh, there we go. There we go. (laughs) Uh, My name is Curtis. I'm one of the pastors here and I'm bringing the word today. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I was going to talk about how awesome Easter was, but you just saw it and uh, it was an incredible time. Thank you special thank you to all the volunteers who came out. I, I imagine we have we had over a hundred volunteers out there to make it all happen uh, set up, clean up uh, we have a print shop that donated everything slow code data. Um, yeah, just like tons of people um, pitching in to make the event happen so it was incredible So let's give uh, our volunteers a round of applause. Thank you so much. It's such a beautiful time. all right so I'm going to pray and then we'll jump in here. Lord we love you so much. We honor you today. We honor your name today. We just want to glorify you. We want to lift you high this morning. And so I just pray that that would be the result of this message, Lord, that you'd use it to uh, minister to people, that you'd use it to impact hearts and minds for your glory and for our good. We're so grateful for you, Jesus. We're so grateful for all that you did on the cross for us. And uh, thank you so much for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So this morning we are in 1 John three again. We had been in 1 John three prior to Cyril being here with his Passover presentation and Easter. So we're jumping back in. So uh, it may have feel may feel like a long time ago, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna get back into it. Uh, the title of today's message is "Love One Another." The whole passage that we're going through today is about loving one another within the body of Christ. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. Um, and we know that the, uh, the world has a lot of different definitions for things than we have within the church. Um, the Bible defines things differently than the world does in a lot of different ways. And the, the meaning of love is definitely one of those ways. Our world has a lot of different ways that they define love. Um, I came across this video of this woman who was walking around uh, this metropolitan area and just interviewing people and asking them how they would define love. And she got all kinds of crazy responses. Um, One of them was uh, accepting everyone and their flaws and showing peace to everyone. Uh, Another definition, love is interconnectedness between people and spirits. Another person said, uh, the energy of the good of all, eternal energy that goes forever. Um, Somebody else said, I am love, you are love. Everything we see is a part of love. Um, somebody else said, love is no boundaries. Um, another person said, love is when you don't get tired of each other. What do you think? You guys agree with that? Married couple? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, a lot of people said love can't be defined. It's too big. It's too too huge of a concept. It just can't be defined in human words. And then still many more people said, um, love is just when you're really, really happy. You're just really elated. You're just really, really happy all the time. Um, So we don't really get any real consistent, clear answer from the world. I know it's kind of funny hearing from people on the street, but we don't really get any clear, consistent answer from the world about what love really is. Fortunately, we have 1 John 3. Um, But people in the world are very confused about this. They don't know what it means, and so God is a good person to go to to ask what love really means. Um, There are four types of love in the New Testament Greek. Uh, The first one is philia, which is brotherly love. Then there's eros, which is where we get our word erotic, which is romantic or sensual love. Then there's storge, which is familial love and agape, which is selfless, sacrificial love. And we're going to be talking about agape love today. That's the kind of love that's talked about throughout this whole passage. Uh, It's really, really beautiful. It's selfless, sacrificial love. So in verse 10, starting in 1 John 3.10, it says, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Okay, so as we've talked about, John uh, is not one for kind of like shading things in a fluffy way. He basically says they're children of God and they're children of the devil, and this is how you can tell. If, they are acting, uh, if they're practicing in righteousness and they're being loving, then they're children of God. If they're not practicing righteousness and they're not being loving, then they're children of the devil. So our first point today is godly love is righteous. See, love and righteousness are bound together in this passage. They're knit together tightly. Um, David Guzik had this great quote uh, that I'm going to uh, talk about right now, but it's, um, it's that real love is the greatest righteousness, and real righteousness is the greatest love. Okay? Did everybody get that? Real love is the greatest righteousness and real righteousness is the greatest love. So that first section real love is the greatest righteousness I think is proven in Matthew 22:35 through 40 and this is a passage where Jesus is talking with the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the, they're trying to trap him intellectually and uh, trying to back him into a corner. So in 30 verse 35 it says then one of them a lawyer asked him a question testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? They're asking him, in the law, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So what they're asking him, what does righteousness look like? What is the greatest law? We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws in the Old Testament that we are living up to. What is the greatest one? How do we satisfy the law? How do we be righteous? And Jesus responds, Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. So real love is the greatest form of righteousness. The second part of that quote, Real righteousness is the greatest love. We're going to talk, uh, we're going to look at Luke ten thirty through 37, and it says, Then Jesus answered, and he said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day he departed, and he took two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of the three do you think was the neighbor of him who fell among the thieves? The one who showed mercy on him. Real righteousness Oh sorry, let me. Real righteousness is the greatest love. This man going out of his way to love on his neighbor was a real form of righteousness. I mean, he did the right thing by this man, right? He did the right thing to reach out to him, to take him to a, a hotel, to, to bandage his wounds and everything. That is the truest act of love. So we'll jump back into 1 John 3 verse 11. It says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And what does it mean to love one another? How do, how do we do that? Well, verse 12, it says, not as Cain... Did not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers were righteous. So we're going to read that little passage uh, of the story of Cain and Abel right now. So Genesis 4 1 through 10 says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. And, uh, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought firstborn, the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry. And his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with his Abel, his, his Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So there's a few things we can learn from this passage. Cain obviously did not do as the Lord commanded. He did not bring his firstfruits to the Lord. He disobeyed, uh, and the Lord warned him, right? The Lord came to him and said, um, you know, basically you should do what your brother Abel did. And instead of responding with humble contrition, saying, I'm sorry, I will do that, he, uh, he goes and kills his brother. And then the Lord confronts him about it again, and then he says, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> See, when we have, uh, Cain, I believe, was dealing with a lot of pride and jealousy in his heart. So when we have jealousy in our hearts, We need to deal with that right away. Like, that's something that's going to develop into something else. Um, We need to respond with humility when the Lord says, hey, you need to deal with this thing. So in the context of loving each other, we're going to uh, come across things that are going to be, that we might be challenged on from the Lord that says, you need to deal with this thing. Right? Has anybody ever had a challenge with anybody ever in their lives that are also a believer? Okay. So... <clears throat> we need to respond when the Lord challenges us with humility. And if we do sin, if we do get to that point, we need to, be, we need to own it, right? We need to own it, we need to repent, and we need to not deny what we did. The Lord was not fooled, right? He was not fooled. Verse 13 says, Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. So we should not be surprised if the world hates us. That's what we can gain from that verse. It says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. We shouldn't be surprised if the world hates us. Okay? That's what it says. (laughs) Cain murdered Abel because Cain's acts were evil and his brothers were righteous. Right? So we know that from, from the world, from our experience in the world, the world typically hates us because we are, are are striving for righteousness. The church stands for righteousness. The church is uh, at least trying, we're trying <laughs> to, to stand for righteousness. And sometimes we fail, but we are trying to stand for righteousness. The world hates that we stand for righteousness. But that doesn't mean we should stop standing for righteousness. We need to continually stand for righteousness, no matter what the world says, no matter what they uh, how they cast uh, shade on us, how they uh, how they talk about us, whatever they say, we should continue being righteous. Um, when I first became a believer, I uh, had a group of friends, and they were not following the Lord. And uh, we were, before following Jesus, we would do evil things. And um, we were children of the devil, as this (laughs) passage would say. And um, so we would do all kinds of things. And uh, as soon as I became a believer and committed my life to Jesus and decided I wanted to live righteously, guess what happened? There was a natural separation, right? Because it's uncomfortable to be around people who are righteous when you're not acting righteously. It's a natural thing. Like, evil does not want to be in the light of righteousness because it exposes it, right? Naturally, they feel exposed because I try to make better decisions and they are continuing on that same path. In that same way, the world should look at us with, some, uh, with the type of... Um, Like uncomfortable feeling. And and obviously, we should be loving toward the world. We should try to love people and share the gospel with them. But it's naturally going to have this uncomfortable feeling because they are living in sin, and we're trying to live in righteousness. Naturally, that exposes the sin. Verse 14 says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. So just simple, straightforward. You can tell if somebody is, um, has gone from death to life, has become a believer based on how they love their brethren. So you guys think it's important for us to do this well? I mean, this is a huge indicator that of, of if we are actually saved. So if someone does not love his brother he abides in death. He's a child of the devil. Verse 15 says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. This idea uh, comes from Jesus in Matthew 5, which Matthew 5, 21 through 22 says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother will Uh, without a cause, shall be in danger of the same judgment. Hatred is likened to murdering in our hearts. Hating somebody is likened to murdering that person in our hearts to Jesus in this passage. It's a significant thing. We need to be very careful, very careful within the body of Christ how we are uh, treating other people. Verse 16 says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. Obviously talking about Jesus. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. See, love isn't simply words, but it's displayed in actions, right? Everybody's experienced that. Somebody tells you they love you, and you're like, your, your actions aren't saying it. You know, that's how you display your love, is through actions. So in this passage, hate is equated to murder, while love is equated to laying down your life. That's the that Jesus is the example here. He laid down his life for us. That's the example of love that we should look to. So John is contrasting these things. In Romans five 8, it says, "But God demonstrates his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us." Now he's gonna. Uh, John is gonna uh, address those who profess to be loving. Uh, but aren't actually loving in their hearts. Verse 17 says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Um, I think, well, through my research for this study, I I kind of uh, came across this topic about abuse victims and how um, abuse victims often have a a challenging time accepting that the person, uh, especially in like uh, marital relationships, uh, that the person doesn't love them. Because oftentimes the abuser will say, I love you, I love you, I love you. They'll repeatedly say they love them throughout their relationship and obviously, we, from, from an outside perspective, can say, well, he, they're, they're abusing you. Like, they're, they're not loving you. But when they're in that situation, it's very difficult to see outside of that and think, oh, no, they actually don't love me. Like, <laughs> that, that takes time to, to come to terms with. So, love isn't just words. Verse, or, and then, our second point today is godly love is expressed in deed and in truth. It's not just words, it's expressed in deed. And in truth, indeed, which means just in our, in actions, and then in truth, which means um, it's it's integrity. It's like not, I'm not just saying that I love you. I'm not just saying it. I'm uh, in my heart and in my mouth. They're being consistent in in that love. My biblical definition, I believe, is biblically accurate. It is um, and you could take it or leave it, but I think it's willingness and sacrificial giving of yourself for the benefit of another. I think that's what's displayed from Jesus in his sacrifice for us. It's willingness and sacrificial giving of yourself for the benefit of another. The world says all kinds of things about what love is. Love is uh, just tolerant or blind acceptance for the other person. Uh, they'll say that love is just, you know, kind of ignoring their faults or, or kind of pushing those to the side and just seeing the good in a person. Um, and where that differs from the gospel, it's actually completely opposite. Jesus sees our sin. He sees us. He 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 accepts us fully, seeing everything that we've done, everything we will do. He sees our sin. And he decides to cover it with grace. I'm going to try not to get ahead of myself here. We're going to jump back to uh, 1 Corinthians 13. is an amazing verse about love. And it's actually about um, love within the church. And oftentimes people read this at weddings and stuff like that, which is a beautiful time to do that as well. But it's really about love within the church. It was when the spiritual gifts uh, were being talked about. And uh, Paul was challenging them to love in the midst of Uh, different spiritual gifts coming out and and people kind of identifying with those and getting proud and things like that. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4-6 says, Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. And thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity or sin, but rejoices in the truth. See, Jesus expressed his love for us indeed and in truth. It wasn't just that he said he loved us, but for God so loved the world that he sent his son, right? So Jesus came to earth. He backed his love up with action. He came to earth and he lived it out. He died on an excruciatingly painful death on the cross to prove that love is a deed. And then that love is not just something that we say, but it's something that comes from the heart. Jesus didn't avoid us in our time of need. He didn't just gloss over our sin. He didn't just say, oh, I just won't think about that. I don't want to think about... The, the bad things that you've done, don't talk to me about it because then I might not love you as much. You know, he didn't, he didn't do that and we shouldn't do that here in the church either. We need to extend grace to one another. We need to extend that same grace that Jesus extended to us. Every single person in here, I'm going to tell you something. I'm just going to make a generalization, okay? Every believer in here is a sinner saved by the grace of Jesus Christ alone. Okay? Every single person in here is a sinner, and so we have to have grace for one another. There's no other way about it. We have to. See, Jesus didn't just uh, come to earth and say, oh, well, love is love, and uh, at least people love me, and I won't expect anything from them, and I just won't look at the, the bad parts of them. I'll just accept the love no matter what. No, Jesus calls us to sacrificially give of ourselves, just like he did. You know that passage, for by ignorance you have been saved through faith? No, no, right? No, it's for by grace you have been saved through faith. Jesus sees our shortcomings, our faults, everything we've ever done wrong, and he covers us with his grace when we accept him. Verse 19 says, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. <clears throat> For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So what that means is uh, if our heart condemns us. So if we're saying, oh, I, I love you, but in our hearts we're thinking something else. God is greater than our hearts. He knows all things. It's, it's not, we're not fooling God. We're not tricking him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor and a martyr and a prophet and a spy during, um, he was a German pastor in uh, World War II, during World War II, and he openly spoke out against uh, the Nazi regime as soon as two days after Hitler rose to power. He was one of the first to speak out against it, especially with his treatment of the Jews. And so there's this incredible biography that I've been reading about his life, and The book's just called Bonhoeffer, if you want to check it out, but this quote came from that. It says, To sit praying while Jews sit in boxcars to death camps, and to do no more than pray, if we can do more than pray, is to mock God who is not fooled by our counterfeit obedience. To sit and pray while Jews sit in boxcars to death camps And to do no more than pray, if we can do more than pray, is to mock God who is not fooled by our counterfeit obedience. See, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was moved to action to defend his Jewish brothers and sisters because he loved them. We need to be moved to action for our brothers and sisters because we love them. God is not fooled when we say with our mouth one thing and in our hearts we really think another Verse 21 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him, because we keep His commands and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as He gave us commandment. Now, He who keeps His commandments abides in Him and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he gave us. That's how we can tell, is if we have the Spirit in us, if we're loving, if we're loving in a way that's righteous, if we're loving godly love that is expressed in deed and in truth, that's how we know that the Spirit is in us, right? The way in which we obey God's command to love one another is direct proof of whether you are a child of God or a child of the devil. Let's repair these things. Let's, if there's any challenges with a brother or sister in the Lord, let's repair them. Let's, let's go directly to that person. Let's humbly hear from the Lord. Let's humbly accept what he said. Humbly accept his challenge. Go to that person and show them true acts of love. Ask the Lord to change your heart. We, We can't actually love one another if we're a child of the devil. We need to become children of God first. We need to follow the example of Jesus first. If you want to become a child of God today and enter into this love that Jesus has extended so beautifully to us, you can do that. You can do that by just confessing in your heart that you believe that you are a sinner, <laughs> that you have done wrong against Jesus, you've done wrong against God, and you need His grace. You need His grace this is the only thing that can cover over our sin. Jesus sees everything you've ever done. He sees everything you will do. And he offers his unmatched, sacrificial love and says, if you'll just accept this, he'll cover over it and show us how to truly love. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. We acknowledge that you are the example of love. We acknowledge that we can't love each other without you. We acknowledge that it is your Holy Spirit that enables us to love one another. <clears throat> and this isn't some secondary minor commandment, Lord. <clears throat> it is number two of the two commandments that we can do to... Um, to f- w- The second greatest commandment in, in the Bible is... The first is to love the Lord your God. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. So help us to love our neighbor as ourself. Help us to sacrificially love. Help us not to be sucked in by what the world says that love is. Help us to just truly love the way that you've called us to love each other. Not just glazing past or not looking at each other's downfalls, but extending grace to one another. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and you are our only hope. We trust you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.